And when I get up and I have an opportunity to preach to you, I'm always saying, Lord, I need you. <laughs> because we don't want to just hear some facts. We don't want to hear my thoughts. We want to hear truth exposed from the Word of God. Today, we're back in Habakkuk, and uh, some of you guys were saying, hey, Habakkuk knows what's up. He was, <laughs> was good uh, stuff that he had to say last week. So today, we're going to look at chapter 2. Uh, I have a cold, as you can probably hear, so I will do my best to project. All right, here we are, chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of those people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set up his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image? A teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. All right, so remember last week what we saw was that Habakkuk was distressed by all the rampant wickedness and sin that was going on around him. And so he said to the Lord, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? You're just letting the bad guys get away with what they want to get away with. You're not bringing any judgment. There's no righteousness being, uh, being carried out. 
the, the bad guys get away with whatever they want to do. And so God said, well, I'm doing stuff that you don't know about. Uh, you wouldn't even believe if I told you. And uh, then he said, I'm bringing the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are going to come and they are going to bring my judgment. And then that causes further confusion, though, because Habakkuk goes, wait a minute. They're even worse than we are. And yet you're going to use them to judge us? And God says, well, that's not the end of the story either. And in chapter 2, we see a lot of bad stuff uh, that's going to happen to the Chaldeans. I know this is not the most obvious and clear uh, scripture in in the Bible, right? Uh, It's a little bit confusing. But what God is saying is, no, I'm not going to just take their side and let these more evil people come and dominate you. I'm going to use them to judge you. And then I'm going to judge them separately because of their wickedness. So the first thing that I want us to see in the first verse is that it is okay and natural to have questions. Verse 1 in chapter 2 says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So the prophet doesn't doubt that God is going to answer him. He goes and he says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait on this answer. Let's talk about how to have questions of God and how to question God without falling into sin. Consider with me how we would treat our own children. I mean, if one of my children came to me and said, said, Daddy, I know that you have a lot more experience than I do, and I know that you want what is best for me in every circumstance. I trust you to do what's right, but may I ask you why you made this decision? Am I going to get mad at them for that? (laughs) Absolutely not. That would be received much better than if they came to me and said, that's not fair, you shouldn't have done that. What in the world were you thinking? (laughs) Right? That would be received completely differently. So it's okay for us to come with our questions to God. We just have to come with respect and honor and humility. And the other thing is we need to come with submission. You know, sometimes God's uh, plan is not our plan. (laughs) As a matter of fact, that's pretty much all the time. Uh, When I was in high school, I thought it was very reasonable of me to go and, and pray to God and say, God, if you will show me what you want me to do with my life, I will do it. I'll stick to it. You, anything you want, I'll do. Give me the road map. (laughs) He didn't give me the road map. Uh, He gives me about two feet in front of me, you know, and that's about it. Uh, So I I had a very immature understanding of what being called to the ministry was. And so uh, I wasn't I wasn't going straight there. I thought that had to be some kind of revelation, you know, opening of clouds and and God telling me, hey, I want you to go be a pastor. And uh, so I pursued other things. And I think, you know, looking back, I got life experience and work experience and and uh, all kind of things that have been valuable to me. But God did not want to go with my plan of give me the road map and I'll follow it. So often what we ask God about um, is not what we have in mind. So where will you find answers when you do question God? Well, this prophet found answers by direct revelation from God. But we who have the canon of scripture aren't going to receive that kind of revelation. So what do we get? Well, First of all, sometimes you won't get any answer. Now, if you don't like that, I'm with you. I don't like it either. 
But Job, as far as we know from Scripture, never did get an answer to his question of why he was going through all these trials that he was called to go through. He didn't, he didn't get an answer. That is when it is critical for us to trust God's character, like we talked about last week. When, when things become confusing, when we don't really see why God is doing a thing, what we saw Habakkuk do last week is he said, well, I don't understand this, but here's what I do know. And he talked about God's character and what he does know of God. And so that, when we don't know what's going on and we question God and we can't get an answer, that's when we need to back up and we need to think about what we do know is revealed about his character and his purposes for us and stand our ground there. Sometimes, though, we will get answers. And those normally come through the word of God and the people of God. That's why, uh, that's one of many reasons that we all need to be in the Word daily. And that's one of the reasons we're going to go to this curriculum for one quarter, is so that it can get us in the habit, the really good, necessary, beneficial habit of being in the Word on a daily basis. And then we need to be in the corporate worship service and a smaller group uh, during the week for fellowship and encouragement and discipleship. We need those things so that we can find answers. Now, when we do get an answer, what are we supposed to do with it? Verse 2 tells us, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. (laughs) And you may be going, "Uh, that's not particularly clear. Uh, This business about running is unclear. And uh, so I looked up what scholars think exactly this wording means. And they didn't know either. Uh, so one, some of them said, we think it means write it so that a passerby can read it. And some people think, well, no, it means put it on these tablets of stone so that you can give it to people who can then run and distribute it. But either way, the point is that we are to share with others the answers that we get when we learn things from the Lord. For their benefit. I mean, when we learn things from God through his word and through his people, that can be used to then bless and teach and encourage other people. The primary venue for this to happen in this church is through our small groups. Uh, We have a lot of feedback and interaction in those small groups. And as you heard this morning, we're going to do a little better job of that in Sunday school as well. And so we're going to be able to encourage one another. That's why, guys, it's going to be very important when we get this new book that you don't sit around and go, well, you know, I'll fill in the answers on Sunday. That totally defeats the purpose because we want you to work through it during the week for your own benefit. And then when we get together on Sunday, we can feed one another instead of having just a lecture time. So I really encourage you to do that. Because when the Lord teaches us something, he doesn't just teach it to us for our benefit. He teaches it to us for the benefit of the whole body. The next thing we need to see in verses 3 and 4 is the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. There will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Now, who is this he he's talking about? Well, he's talking about the Chaldeans. Um, I was doing translation the other day uh, of some Hebrew, and because I have to, because I'm in Hebrew class, and we were uh, going through some Garden of Eden stuff, 
And God told them not to eat from him. And I said, from him? And that was talking about from the tree of life. So anyway, this his that is here is talking about the Chaldeans. If we are to truly live by faith, then we had better be sure and understand what faith is and what faith is not. Because that is a really frequent confusion in our day and age. Let's start with what faith is not. Faith is not deciding what you want God to do and then telling him to do it and believing that he will do it. Okay? Is my mic on when I walk over here? Okay. I didn't know if I turned it on. So faith is not deciding what you want God to do and then expecting him to do it. Uh, That seems obvious, right? But believe me, it is not obvious to some folks. Habakkuk's faith was in what God said would happen. Okay, Habakkuk got revelation like we get from the word of God. And he said, I believe what God is saying to me. That is the proper object of faith. Faith is believing what God says, not what we would like for him to say. I used to work with a pastor who um, every week or every month, whenever we did our budget um, figures, we would come and we would see that we were losing money every single month. And I don't mean a little bit of money. I mean a lot of money, about $1,000 a month. And I went to the pastor and I said, this is completely unsustainable. And he said, you don't have enough faith. I said, oh, okay. Because, see, I thought that the Bible said that the people of God are to support the work of God by giving their tithes and their offerings, right? That's what I thought. And so I thought the fact that we were falling way short meant that we were being irresponsible in our spending or that we weren't giving enough, one of the two or a combination of the two. But no, I was told that I didn't have enough faith. And I looked in the Bible... And I tried to find somewhere where it said that XY Baptist Church was going to have enough money for fiscal year 20-whatever, right? And I couldn't find it. So my point is, God didn't tell us that we were going to be okay on our budget if our people didn't give enough or if we overspent. And so that was not faith. That was wishful thinking on his part where he instructed me that it was not faith enough. So we need to understand that having faith that good things will happen, okay, that's Oprah talk. It's not Bible talk. Bible says we believe what the Word of God says. God fulfills his promises, but sometimes it takes a while. Okay, Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That one took a while, didn't it? (laughs) From Genesis 3 until the empty tomb, that's how long that promise took, okay? Sometimes the Lord will tell us things and we have to have faith for a long time because it's delayed from what we would want. We want things to happen quickly on our timetable. The Lord does not work that way. Another example of of a hope that has been prolonged is John 14, 3. says... And Jesus is speaking. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Well, we've been waiting on that for a long time now. But let me remind you what God says to Habakkuk. He says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
We're called to do more than believe in God. We're called to believe God. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Okay? So every demon is unwaveringly convinced of the existence of God. But they're all in rebellion to Him. And that's where a lot of our neighbors are. A lot of our friends and neighbors are in that same place. They know that God exists. But they kind of would rather be God than find out who he is and submit to him. If you figured out that God exists, that is a good first step. But it is far from saving faith. I know that Darwinian evolutionists can make some elaborate sounding arguments. I was a biology and music major in my undergrad work. And I've studied a good deal of apologetics. So I think that I can honestly say that I've heard every substantial Darwinian argument that there is. Really though, when we see a creation, we know that there's a creator. Uh, God has put it in the conscience of man to understand that there is a creator. That's why uh, no matter how many, you know, if you see a bunch of chimpanzees or a bunch of dolphins or whatever other smart creatures none of them will have a prayer uh, gathering, okay? They aren't understanding that there is someone to worship and that there's someone uh, that is watching us. We humans inherently know this to be true. And uh, when I was in school, I finished the requirements for my biology degree and I took one more class because it was a 500 level class in strictly in evolutionary biology. And the reason I took this, some of my Christian friends were going, are you just a glutton for punishment? Why are you doing this? Honestly, the reason I did it was I was trying to find out how really intelligent, rational people could be Darwinists. And I never did figure it out um, other than by the grace of God. You know, I, I had a renewed mind. I, had a, I was saved at that time. And so I was a believer and I could see the, the, the lie for what the lie was. So, we know that the Lord exists, and we know that that is the kind of faith that a lot of folks around us have. If we speak to our neighbors and we say, hey, are you a Christian? They'll say, yeah. They don't mean they're a Christian. They mean, I mean, they may, but they may also mean I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Muslim, so I guess I'm a Christian, right? When we see a creation, we know that there's a creator. We can see that evidence. And we have to try hard to repress the truth. So believing in God, most everybody does that. So what faith is, is believing God, right? There's a difference between believing that he's there and believing what he says. In verse 5, God compares the Chaldeans to a drunkard and to death, which neither can get full, right? <laughs> you'll never go to, a, to an alcoholic and he'll say, man, I just don't want another drink. And death, the more people die, death never gets full, does he? Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects to his own all peoples. Now, the Bible is very clear in its instructions that we don't become drunk, right? We know the Bible says that. It says don't drink to excess and become drunk. By logical extension, it, it, it's also prohibiting us from using any drug that would put us in an altered state. So yeah, it doesn't talk about marijuana, but <laughs> we can reasonably deduce that we are prohibited from that as well. 
That's not really the point here, though. The point is that a drunk can never get enough drink. Similarly, people who have been dying, people have been dying for millennia, but death is not yet filled up, is it? The Chaldeans are like this. They are an insatiable people. And in verse 6 through 20, we see some of the reasons that God is going to judge them. You know, uh, he said, hey, I'm going to bring these people and we're going to judge Israel. And then the prophet said, wait a minute, they're worse than we are. And God said, I, I understand that. My justice is going to come to Israel. But then my justice is also going to come to the Chaldeans. And so this is the part where he's explaining what he's going to judge the Chaldeans for. The first is that God will punish a nation of thieves. Verses 6 and following say, Shall not all these take up their taunts against him with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. So he's saying, look, you guys are running over everybody. You're stealing what they got. You're lending to other people at exorbitant rates. This stuff is going to come back around to you. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. So some people think they can get rich enough, they can get rich enough by taking advantage of other people that they can insulate themselves from harm. And God says, hey, you can try. (laughs) It's not going to work. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. So God doesn't like it when you take other people's stuff, okay? And that's what these Chaldeans did, and he said he's going to pay them back for that. As a matter of fact, not taking people's stuff made it to God's top ten list of, of commandments, right? We are not to steal things as individuals or as a nation. We may feel like we're, we're pretty good here. Uh, you know, you may be sitting here going, well, I don't steal stuff, so I'm good. And actually, the country doesn't go around stealing stuff. We don't, we're not an imperial power that goes and seizes other people's lands, right? And I hope that we are good on this one. But let me tell you one thing that we must be vigilant about. We need to be absolutely sure that we do not fall into the sin of robbing God. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? How can we rob God? Well, in Malachi, he answers that question. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. That's God saying, you're robbing me to these folks. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God answers, in your tithes and contributions. So make sure that you don't do that. God doesn't like people who steal stuff. Make sure that you are not robbing him in your tithes and contributions. Now let me assure you, as I always do, that I don't say this out of any profit motive. I don't, I don't work on commission. <laughs> but the Lord says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so we need to make sure that we don't rob God in our tithes and offerings. I want us all to trust God with our eternal souls. And one way that we can express that is by trusting him with our first and our best when it comes to money. It also helps us to avoid idolatry. And we'll see more about that in a moment. It helps us to avoid idolatry by spending money on what we actually value. You know, uh, Dr. Rogers used to say regularly... If you let me see your checkbook, I can tell you if you're 
authentic in what you say you believe. Because we spend our money on what we love. The next thing that God will punish is a nation of addicts. In verses 15 and 16, he says, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The symbol here is alcohol, but I'm confident that it's not an improper application of the text to substitute a modern intoxicant as well as alcohol into this category. You notice that in verse 15 he says, you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at your nakedness. Violence and lust are mixed in with this drink. So God will punish a nation for that kind of debauchery. Uh, There was a lady who came to our church, and uh, she said she was in need, and so we talked to her. And I sat down with her and presented the gospel to her. She then left and uh, was talking to a regular attender of our church, and she said, hey, I need money. And we have some kids in here, so I won't tell you the details, but she was willing to work in a sinful manner for that money and offered this to this regular attender of our church. That's what happens when people get into addiction. It's not just addiction. It gets into all these other areas of debauchery so that they can feed that addiction. And God will punish a nation that, that has that going on. God will also punish a nation of idolaters. Verses 18 and following says, What profit is it is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Now, I'm pretty sure that none of us is going to run out and craft or buy a little figurine to worship, right? But there are still plenty of people in America and around the world who do that. But our idols are going to be a little more difficult to spot. Now, they may be a little more difficult to spot, but they won't be difficult to identify. Because really, uh, when we have an idol, it's us. I mean, when you tear away the veneer, it's us. Um, You say, well, maybe money is your idol. Okay, but it's not really money, right? We don't take the money and love the money. We love what the money can do for us. Uh, If you love your family, that's great. If you make an idol of your family, that's because of how they make you feel. And they make you feel needed and loved. So you're making an idol really out of you. Business and success. You know, in America, a lot of people have an idol of business and success But what that really is, is it's feeding my ego. So when you tear away the veneer of the business, behind it is you. Pornography is another one. Uh, People idolize. And what I mean by that is they say, God doesn't want me to do this. I want me to do this. So I'm going to put me on the throne and do what I want to do. Right? So really, you, by any other name, is still you. And that is the kind of idolatry that we have to really be on the lookout for. The last thing I want us to see is good news, though, and that is that one day God will set everything right. Verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. Now, I don't know exactly when he's talking about. For an Old Testament prophet looking ahead to after the resurrection of Christ, he may be talking about now. He may be saying, you guys are not only going to have this full revelation, you're going to have the Spirit of God indwelling you. This is amazing. Uh, The knowledge of the Lord is going to be all over the earth. Or he may be talking about a future time uh, when the Lord reigns completely and in fact on earth. I don't know. Verse 20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. So one day everything is going to be made right. You know, not only will the Chaldeans judge these Israelites, and then God says, that's okay, they can get what's coming to them. And then I'm going to judge the Chaldeans because they too get what's coming to them. Eventually, everybody is going to get what is coming to them. When you get frustrated like Habakkuk did with the rampant wickedness around you and evil people appearing to get away with everything, remember that one day God will bring perfect and complete justice. And remember, he told Habakkuk, if it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Often in this life, people escape justice. Hitler killed himself by gunshot on April 30th, 1945, in the arms of his lover, Eva Braun, who committed suicide with him by taking cyanide. He didn't face justice for what he had done, but he will. Osama bin Laden was shot in the face by a U.S. Navy SEAL. He probably died instantly. He didn't face justice for what he had done, but he will someday. Now, we may like that most of these evil people will someday get what they deserve, but what about you? I praise God that I will not get what I deserve because somebody else already took my punishment. My one defense, as we sang earlier, my one defense, my righteousness is Christ. Now, I'm not only believing in God, but I am believing God when he said, for our sake, he, the Father, made him the Son to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if you will believe God, you can be saved today. Place your faith in the work of Jesus on your behalf. Trust that he was raised from the dead and that his sacrifice on your behalf was complete, was finished, and was accepted by the Father. Repent and turn away from your sins, putting Jesus in total control of your life from now on, and you can be saved. Again, not by just believing in God, but believing God. In the garden, (laughs) that I was painfully translating from Hebrew, um, in the garden, Adam and Eve had a choice. They could believe the word of their creator, or they could believe the word of the serpent. They chose to believe the word of the serpent. And so that's how mankind fell. How you can be saved is not much different from that. It is trusting and believing, choosing to put your faith in the word of the creator instead of the word of the enemy. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, Jimmy's going to come. We're going to sing. If you're here today and you're not certain that you're saved, come talk to me before you leave. Um, 
walking down the aisle can't save you, repeating a prayer after me can't save you, but believing God can save you, and I'll talk to you about that. If you're here today and you've got a burden on you that you're praying about and you would like for me to pray with you, that'd be my privilege. And if you're here today and you attend this church, but you're not a member of this church, let me urge you, please urge you strongly to come and join with us. Now, if you don't, you know, if you're like, well, no, I've got to check out this other church, I'm torn, okay. But if you're just hanging around, you know, waiting on something, uh, this is what you were waiting on. Today is the day. Um, I used to have a pastor who was, uh, how do I put it uh, carefully? I don't know. He didn't put anything carefully. And he said, and this is not me. I'm just, I'm making fun. He said, quit shagging up with the church. <laughs> All right. So I'm not going to say that because that's kind of weird. But if you're here and you're visiting with the church and you want to become part of us, come on. Now's the day to do it. Sing for us, brother. <laughs>